Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Craig Moore. What a piece. Beautifully struck home by Craig Moore and the Australian supporters go wild in Stuttgart. Why not? Rickson's corner kick. Celtic couldn't handle Wood on the set piece. It's a brilliant header. And Kale goes to Spitzenko. What about that? What about that? Here's Aloisi for a place in the World Cup. He's You're with Shim, Spider, and so much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello again. Good to have you with us for another episode of Shim, Spider, and so much more. A week in which fans in Melbourne have been up in arms about restrictions on active support. A week which has seen Zelko Kalatz return to coaching and which saw Craig Moore go missing in action following Rangers' first Scottish Premier League title in a decade. Later on in the show, we've got Jackson Irvine with us as our special guest, and we'll review all the action from at home and abroad as per usual. But first, let's welcome our two golden boys from the 2006 World Cup, Zelko Kalatz and Craig Moore. And Maury, you're alive. Mate, I'm, I'm alive and well, let me tell you. Um, made an early shout last week, boys. So I appreciate you uh, uh, doing such a professional job. Executive decision early. Ten years, Simon, since Rangers have uh, won a title. Um, so it's fair to say normally on a Sunday, I like a couple of glasses of red. I got closer <laughs> to the bottle or bottles last Sunday. <laughs> Who were you out with, Maury? That's the, that's the key question. Uh, COVID, you can't go out with anybody, mate. Celebrating in, in-house um, of with, the, with the restrictions here, it's tough. But like I said, 10 years of pain, um, but fantastic to see Rangers win the title. Um, Celtic didn't get the result that they needed to keep it alive for, for this weekend. So I was a very happy boy. Good stuff. Um, Spider, you're a happy boy as well. You've been back doing a little bit of coaching this week. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Simon, I actually really enjoyed it this week. Uh, I went down to watch a good friend of mine, Mario Tsarevich, who's taken over his first head coaching job at uh, Rudej FC. And just sitting down with him, he said to me, oh, do you mind coming in uh, for a week and doing a workshop here with our goalkeepers? And their goalkeeper coach was really uh, open to the idea. So I went down and uh, worked with their keepers for the full week. And, you know, it was actually really nice to see people so open 
to actually let you go in and work with their keepers, considering they're, they're in a season, um, was, was very enjoyable. Uh, and it was good to see that people in Croatia are very open-minded to stuff like that. So uh, my quads are a little bit sore from kicking, um, but very enjoyable. You didn't stick a bit of arsenic in your tea then after the, after the training no. session <laughs> goalkeeping coach? The, the, the rakia. <laughs> the rocky, of course it is. <laughs> Good to see you back, Spider, anyway, and more of you too as well. Let's get into it then with Hard Talk. Hard Talk. Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgate, one of Australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008. They focus on virtual and hybrid events, broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide by either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. Live streaming allows social online engagement as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So should you require a small personal event or business level webcast, please go to streamgate.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. Well, guys, before we uh, review the games themselves, let's start with some of the problems in Melbourne with regards to the crowds. Um, Active supports allowed at Amy Park for Melbourne Storm in the NRL but not allowed for Melbourne Victory or Melbourne City, although City were allowed flags and drums back on Friday night. Uh, Greg O'Rourke put out a statement saying they're trying to resolve the issue. What's your take on this? Is this double standards at work for football fans once again? Are we still being uh, culturally stigmatised as being hooligans? Discuss. Yeah, my opinion is it's definitely double standards. Um... We should be allowed, the numbers should be even all around the codes. If you're letting the other codes in, our, our supporters should be allowed to come and support in full numbers. Simple as that. Yeah, but also, Spike, well, look, Greg O'Rourke, obviously, hopefully he can um, get to the bottom of it very quickly and get the, the right uh, outcome for, for football. I mean, look, we want to we see, we're actually one of the countries that are allowing fans into stadiums. We want to be able to see those fans to be able to, really enjoy their day and, and, and get behind their team. And you know, you're talking about flags and drums. Uh, these, are not, these are not things that, that, that are issues. These are things that I think make it um, a better product. It looks better on the television. And that's what we want to see. So we want to be treated in the same way, Simon. I think that's fair to say. Totally agree. Um, my take on it, and as I understand it, there were some issues earlier on in the season with... Uh, fans not adhering to social distancing policies, which, of course, were in place uh, at the time. Those restrictions have since been eased somewhat. So I sort of understand that there's a little bit of tension. However, I do think some of this is stigma. And I think the fact that the rugby league fans were allowed to do what they wanted and the fact that we or our, our game was not is indicative of those double standards. Um, I understand this is a very sensitive issue uh, for the clubs and for Gregor Rourke in particular to deal with. But I think it's time we made a stand on this, because if we continue to allow this to continue unchallenged, then we're never going to get over this, are we? And that is our point of difference to a large extent. The noise and the colour and the vibrancy of our crowds. It's something that separates us from the other sports. And we have to, have to defend our fans. As Jock Steen once famously said, football without fans is nothing. And a lot of our active supporters have walked away from the game because they have not been defended by our game's leaders in the past. It's time for that to change. Let's hope it does so 
very, very quickly. Um, let's uh, talk about the actual football then, and uh, we'll stay in Melbourne. Spider, uh, Melbourne City's early season wobble seems to be a distant memory, convincing winners against MacArthur on Friday. Uh, they're starting to look like uh, the title contenders we all thought they were going to be. Ante Milicic even calling the benchmark after that uh, performance on Friday. Yeah, they, they definitely are. They, they get better and better with each match. Uh, it makes me and Maury sound a little bit and feel a little bit better now that Melbourne City's performing because we did tip them at the beginning of the year and I was thinking at the beginning. But uh, look, they, they've come good. I, I don't know what you guys think, but I think Naboo has made a massive difference because I think him coming into the team frees up Jamie McLaren a little bit more. Uh and it's very hard. They've got Noon that's on fire. You've got McLaren on fire. You've got Naboo on fire. So the opposition defenders really have a big problem. When it was just Jamie McLaren, they were sort of nullifying him and there was no creativity coming from the flanks. But now, Berenguer is playing fantastic. Uh, Curtis Good, outstanding. Yep. Uh, yep. I, I, just, I just think they're a very, very good side. I, I agree. I, yeah, no, I agree. I just think they're, they're very entertaining going forward. Um, Atkinson as well, I think, gives them from a deeper yes. position, gives them great width. Uh, Spy, you know all about Connor Metcalf. You know, he's come in and, and looks a, a, a real talent. Um, looks as if he's lost a bit of weight, uh, but still has that physicality. Uh, so, yeah, look, and they've, they've been, you know, Glover in goal as well. Spides has been really, really solid. Yep. So, I think they scored 14 goals in the last four games, so they're certainly back on track. Yeah, and I tell you what, more, I'm really happy for Paddy Casnorbo because it's his first time in charge. Uh, he had a great experience under the French coach, French coach last year, and I think he's taken that into his stride and, and kept that going into the team, which is that they're performing now, if not better than what they performed last year. They've got to maintain the consistency, which we have seen that's been a little bit difficult for all clubs in the A-League. They had a bit of a hiccup at the start of the season, but they've really got the game uh, rolling at the moment. They're, they're, they're hot at the moment, for sure. Conversely, across town, Melbourne victory season goes from uh, bad to worse, it seems. Uh, loses again at the weekend, 3-1 uh, to Adelaide United at home. Marcus uh, Marco Rojas out for a while as well with a fractured fibula. And the club this week, Maury, has brought in uh, John Paul de Marini. Uh, as assistant coach or joint assistant coach, along with Steve Keane to, to help out Grant Brebner. Um, is, is that the answer? It looks pretty desperate for them at the moment, doesn't it? It, it does. I mean, look, but what JP obviously brings is, again, familiarity with the, the football club. Um, but the reality is Melbourne victory, from what we know, uh, are a long, long way away from where they need to be. Um, so... Look, there are issues there. Whether or not um, they can turn that around this season, they're sitting at the bottom of the table, which um, which is not good enough for a football club this size. People are going to question the, the recruitment. If I'm being honest, Simon, and, and Spider, I don't know whether you agree on this. In the, I was lived, in, lived back in Australia for the 13 years, but the 15 years, this is probably um, the weakest Melbourne victory squad I've ever seen. Yeah, we, we, we touched on it last week. I, I, I thought it's a very, very badly assembled team, to be honest. Uh, I don't think we have to go any deeper into it. Uh, JP is going to come in and try to give some experience, I guess. Uh, as you said, knowing the club and having success at the club before under Muskie. 
as an assistant. Maybe he can help Prebner sort a few things out. I, I'm not sure. But the squad itself, Maury, looks quite weak to me. Could be a season of uh, rebuilding, to say the very least, for Melbourne Victory. Um, next, they play Sydney FC, which is not exactly the, the sort of opposition they want to face in their current run of form. Um, the Sky Blues, the champions, of course, came from behind to defeat the Newcastle Jets. Um, credit to Milos Ninkovic, who came off the bench and um, uh, changed things a bit for, for the Sky Blues. Alex Wilkinson with his first goal in a decade, which was uh, great to see for him. Uh, the question I wanted to put to you, Spider, as a goalkeeper, Andrew Redmayne, another mistake to present mm. uh, Luca Prusho with his first A-League goal. What's going on with Redders this season? Because he's been fantastic for Sydney the last couple of years, but for whatever reason, he's just not on his game at the moment, is he? Yeah, and, and you know what, Simon, I actually thought about it, and uh, it's probably one to, to find out maybe deeper at Sydney FC whether he's had some off-field issues. Well, he uh, has, his, he, his wife has just uh, given birth to a, uh, a baby. I know that. So maybe a few sleepless nights is one issue. Possibly, because if you have a look at Alisson at uh, Liverpool as well, and we know that his father passed away and he had those, he made those mistakes uh, week in, week out. Maybe it's just uh, something mentally, something's going going on off the field that we don't know about. But they're, you know, they are costly mistakes. They're just lucky at the moment that the team is actually playing well and getting results. Uh, they've turned the tide, I think, Sydney FC. I think they're slowly getting back to where where they want to be. And we all know that the, the title's won at the end of the year and Sydney FC will be there or thereabouts, that's for sure. The other thing with, with Redders, of course, is that uh, he didn't go to the Asian Champions League hub, um, stayed uh, behind. So that might uh, play a part as well. Maybe just a little bit of a lack of sharpness. Anyway, it's an interesting one. Uh, given his great form over the last uh, couple of seasons. Uh, moving on to the Sunday matches, um, the Mariners again, Maury showing their mettle uh, to earn a point late on with another goal from Matt Simon. That's now six in mm. seven games and uh, the Mariners remain top of the pile. Can they stay there for the rest of the season? We seem to sort of ask this question with incredulity each week, but in fairness to them, every week that they stay top and even though they didn't win on Sunday, they didn't lose... Um, in awful playing conditions in Gosford. And I was up there, and I tell you, it was monsoonal up there. But we've got to take them seriously, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, it was, you're right, Simon. It was flippers and uh, snorkel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It's still quite an entertaining game. Uh, so, so credit to, to both teams. Uh, look, Central Coast Mariners, um, top of the table, it's incredible. Um, and, and, and the confidence that that gives these players and, and you can look at these players now, um, Simon, and, and they're completely different players to what we've, you know, we've seen uh, in previous seasons. So just goes to give you a little bit of an understanding about when you have that confidence and you can go out and you, you have that belief that you can win football matches. Can they stay top? Uh, for me, I, I still think that there's, there's better teams that I think will finish ahead of them come the end of the season, but points on the board um, and at the top of the table, they've had a fantastic season. So full credit to them. Let's be honest. Mate, very, Sorry, go on, Spider. I was going to say, remember when Leicester City won the championship? Everyone kept on thinking someone was going to overtake him. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I do I do agree with you, Big Chops. The big boys are coming. Melbourne City and Sydney FC are hunting them down. But they're doing a great job, Central Coast. Very, very good job at the moment. Sure are. Um, Western United's got the points over Brisbane Raw, uh, thanks to Dylan 
uh, Parias. Um, another question about goalkeepers, uh, Spider. In fact, two questions about goalkeepers. One, the form of Ryan Scott, who played very, very well in that uh, mm. uh, win over Brisbane to keep a clean sheet. But secondly, that the man he replaced, Philip Curto, this is a bit concerning for me. He, he missed out on Sunday uh, because this is the fourth head injury he's had mm. in the last, I think, two or three years. And they're considering um, implementing this Petter check style goalkeeping helmet for him. Mark Rudin uh, saying he's, he's actually very concerned about uh, his goalkeeper's career because he keeps sustaining these, these head knocks. Is that just unfortunate? I mean, goalkeeping is a very different position because you've got to put your head in places where other players don't necessarily uh, go. But is he just unlucky to have picked up those injuries or is there a, a technique issue? When, I mean, when you get to that point, Spider, you know, are you, are you basically, is your career in the balance if you've had that many head injuries? Yeah, look, uh, I, one thing I will say about Kurt Day is he is brave. He will put his head in and he will attack the ball. Uh, sometimes that is just sheer unlucky that uh, you get hit. Uh, to think on the other side that he's got to wear a helmet and to play uh, Peter Check style, look, it can be done. But, you know, sometimes you've got to really think about your health after football and is it worth the risk? Like, I don't know how deep uh, the injury is, but mate, if you remember, Peter Check was out for ages before he come back, like a long, a long time. So seriously, we all love football and we know it's a part of our lives, but your health is more important. Look, to be fair, I mean, Peter Cech had a, a fractured skull, which was a, a much more serious injury, but uh, obviously repeated concussions um, very much in the news at the moment uh, in all sports uh, because of the long-term effects. So uh, whatever happens, we hope that uh, they, they take care of Philip Curto and put his his personal health uh, as their primary concern. Um, Roots, uh, Roots? Who's Roots? Well, it's because we were talking about Mark. Roots, Root, no, Roots said something else as well. <laughs> he did. He was unhappy with uh, the use of VAR uh, during the week to dismiss Andrew Durante against uh, Sydney. When, of course, he, as he pointed, uh, pointed out, it wasn't used for the shirt pull on Berisha last week against uh, the Western Sydney Wanderers. So we, are we still seeing inconsistency with the VAR? Goodness me, that's a rhetorical question. Of course we are. Of course we are. <laughs> of course we are. To be fair, there was also a sending off today, which might have been a little bit similar uh, to Durante. Uh, Simon, Lamella got a second yellow card for a hand up at the, the chest face of, of Kieran Tierney. Mm. Uh, but the referee didn't need VAR, to be fair. He um, made the decision himself. But... Durante is one I see. Look, he, he does catch him. It was their intention, no? Um, can you be unhappy? Oh, uh, are you serious? There was no I, intention. Maybe, maybe it was. Uh, maybe I didn't get a clear footage, Spides. Yeah? <laughs> oh, come on, man. Maybe I didn't get clear footage. But in terms of the the, the pulling of the shirt of Barisha, yeah, there was pulling of the shirt. Could have that been a penalty? Yeah, of course it. It could have been. Are we still seeing inconsistencies of VAR? Yes. One million percent. Mm. Yep. We'll come on to talk uh, more about that in uh, our next segment. Uh, before we head there, a little uh, word or two on Asia. The Champions League hubs have been uh, decided, <clears throat> excuse me, and the East Zone has been postponed until June, July 2021, which is probably sensible given the COVID uh, problems around the world that continue. Also, the 
Asian World Cup qualifiers, Spider, have been put into a hub. The Socceroos are going to play in Kuwait uh, between May the 31st and June the 15th to complete the group games against Chinese Taipei, Nepal and uh, Jordan. It means they won't have played a game in 18 months by the time that comes around. The thing that concerns me more than anything, that's going to be in the Middle East in summer where hmm. temperatures in Kuwait can be well over 40 degrees. That ain't going to be much fun for the Socceroos. No, it won't be. But I tell you what, there'll be a lot of Socceroos out there and Graham Arnold that will be very happy that we get to play some football again. And I know it'll be uncomfortable conditions, which we understand. They're not going to make it easy for us. But it is a hub. They will prepare themselves for it. And it is the national team playing again, which I think is a good thing. And just uh, just on that national team stuff, uh, I just wanted to say something something different, Simon. Under-17 World Cup that I worked at in 2019, isn't it great that we're seeing players like Luke Dazil, Louis-Laurie Latanzio, uh, Birkin Kira, Yaya Dekuli, Josh Rawlins, all players, Oli Kalach, all players that have been involved in the Under-17 World Cup that are now involved in the A-League uh, and getting their appearances. Spider, when was the last time we had that transition from a, a junior national team to, to top flight football. So well done to uh, these players and also to the yep. coaches for giving them the opportunity. Yeah, 100% more. I, I think it's fantastic. I, I really believe that this uh, bad luck that we've had with COVID and the way the seasons have been has been a blessing and will be a blessing in disguise for all these young players' careers and futures and for the A-League itself because they are getting invaluable experience now and in a year or two, these guys are going to be much better players. It's, it really is great. And you know what, Maury? That under-17 team was very successful. Trevor Morgan done a very good job with them. And they gained invaluable experience at that World Cup as well. And I miss yeah, one. Yeah. Caleb Watts, who's also hmm. getting exposure for the Southampton uh, in the Premiership. So very good. That's, that's what we like to see. Okay. Um, before we uh, leave this segment... A uh, quick word about uh, two of our female players who are doing great things at the moment. Michelle Heyman has broken Sam Kerr's record in the W League, scoring her 71st goal. Uh, that is a terrific achievement. And uh, Sam Kerr herself uh, bagged a hat-trick in the League Cup final for Chelsea over Bristol City uh, to win another medal. Now she uh, turns her focus uh, back onto the FA Women's Super League, where, of course, Chelsea are very much in the mix uh, to win that particular championship. But uh, great, great to see those uh, two Matilda strikers with, of course, the Women's World Cup just, uh, well, less than, no, just slightly over two years away now uh, in such good form. And a great story with Michelle Heyman, who, of course, um, almost gave the game away, Maury. Oh, no, it's incredible. You know, Michelle Heyman's obviously a fantastic character, uh, to, to hit these kind of records um, it shows what a phenomenal uh, player that she has been uh, we're very very lucky like I says I think that we're going to continue to, to hear fantastic stories about our, our women in football Simon you know we, we've got some fantastic players and as you touched on we're going to go into 2023 World Cup on home soil which we've got a great opportunity to go and win the tournament how good is that? Absolutely all right, so thanks for the moment, guys. Let's head overseas. London Calling. London Calling. 
With over a century of experience, ACPE's industry-recognized specialist bachelor degrees will turn your passion for sports, fitness, health science, education, or dance into a career. With an overall graduate's employment rate of 90.1% and an extensive industry partnerships network, ACPE don't just have the experience to help you, they've also got the industry contacts and connections to help get your foot in the door. Find out where ACPE can take you. Apply online today for semester one 2021 at acpe.edu.au. ACPE, where ambition meets industry excellence. Well, let's start off uh, with the new... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. News that uh, the Premier League CEO, Richard Masters, says he wants up to 10,000 fans to be admitted into each stadium for the final two rounds of the Premier League season. Uh, Maury, you're in the UK. Is that wise? Do you think we know why the clubs want this? Because they're, they're bleeding cash. I think £2 billion is, is the figure yeah. that's been quoted. But there's still you know four or 5,000 new cases every single day in the UK, which is a lot better than it was. But even well, so, well, yeah. I mean, look, Simon. We want we we want fans in the stadium. We we also want to make sure that 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 it's safe and it's not going to um, open up any any you know further cases of COVID where then all the good work is 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 put to waste kind of thing. So look, first and foremost, it has to be safe. Um, if that's the case and we can get fans in, look, the fans are so important, which we always touch on. Um, you know, for, for, for teams that are at the bottom of the table or at the top of the table, they're very, very important. But I look at a team like uh, Sheffield United um, and not having fans um, and, and they're going to go down, they're going to get relegated and had a lot of close games, Simon. And you know when you have the, the supporters in there that they can get you over the line. So, look, we'd love to see fans, but it has to be safe. It does indeed. Um, talking of which, Maury, we'll stay with you. Talk of the final Old Firm derby in Scotland next week being... Uh, postponed. There's going to be a decision taken on that this week after Rangers fans breached the COVID guidelines to celebrate that uh, title win that we alluded to at the top of the show. Yeah, I, I wasn't one of them. Uh, I was in my- <laughs> <laughs> you would have been mobbed. <laughs> but, uh, look, obviously, uh, the government were a little bit unhappy uh, about the messaging prior to to that, to that event from from Rangers, but Rangers felt as if they'd um, they'd done enough there. But what has definitely ramped up since um, since that incident, Simon, is both Rangers and Celtic obviously communicating their messages to the fans. Um, you know that with the current guidelines in place, please stay at home. And um, so the messaging has been very very good from both clubs le- leading into this game at the weekend. And hopefully, um, I'd be very surprised if it doesn't go ahead. Okay, we'll see if you're uh, right. Let's give you a little uh, moment in the sun, Maury, before we bring Spider in on the VAR. Rangers title win. They started back in the fourth tier, of course, after all their financial problems back in 
2012. I think the first game of, of, of the new club, if you want to put it that way in inverted commas, was against yeah. Brecon City in the, in the Ramsden's Cup. So they, they've come an awful long way and credit to Steven Gerrard, particularly this season for what he's done. Uh, it's been, look, it's been incredible. I mean, the season that they've had um, is phenomenal. Uh, currently undefeated. I think 24, 25 clean sheets. Um, 77, I think, 77 goals. Um more importantly, the, this success has been on the back of also good support from the football club, Simon. Um, Stephen Gerrard has been given time um, and, and that's been justified. Um, not only has he returned or a, a, his first trophy for the football club in 10 years to the club, they've also, uh, in terms of coefficient points, they've, they've upped the game in terms of the European performances. So it's been a remarkable story and uh, a lot of people I know um, obviously extremely happy because they've gone through some, some tough times. So it's pleased to see um, Rangers uh, being back to, to winning trophies again. But at the same time, I also want to see uh, a, a good response from Celtic next season because this season, um, as good as what Rangers have been, it's, it's been non-competitive uh, for the back end of the season. And we want to see competitive seasons. We want to see a, a strong Rangers and a strong Celtic. So they've got a bit of work to do, but I look forward to um, certainly another good season next season, but more competitive. That uh, first title, when you waited a long time for it, always means so much more, doesn't it? Um, Spider, on a slightly sourer note, um, I'm sure you saw this footage during the week of uh, the Dortmund game with the absolutely ludicrous sequence of... VAR interventions, mm. denying uh, Erling Haaland what appeared to be a perfectly good goal and then utter chaos over the award of a penalty, the retake, the whole thing for five minutes for me summed up why VAR has impacted upon the game of football so badly. It was a mess. And that's at the highest level. That's <laughs> yeah. at the highest level. Uh, it was it was scary. And you know what? Two fantastic teams like Dortmund against Seville, and to think that something like this can can happen in a football match was was insane. But it's nothing new to us. I'm we've we've been saying it all along. And you know what? I, I really wish that we would grow some balls in Australia and actually just stop it. And actually be one of the first to say enough is enough. Couldn't agree more. Maury, anything to add on that? Uh, I'm kind of, uh, yeah, I'm behind Spider in that. I just, it was, it was, it was the craziest five minutes I've ever seen in football, uh, that, that incident with Dortmund. Um, mm. And at the moment, there's just, there's too much left to, to interpretation still, Simon. And I thought the whole idea of VAR was so that referees, um, would get the right advice and all that, but VAR is actually being used to re-referee the game, which is not what it was meant to be. Yeah. My, my point, and obviously I've come out uh, quite strongly against VAR, <clears throat> but I think if we're going to keep it, and clearly Gianni Infantino wants to, then we've got to be able to hear as a bare minimum those audio conversations between referee and VAR. And then at least we've got some idea as to what on earth is going on, because at the moment, everybody is confused. Everybody is in the dark. You listen to the commentators in that Dortmund severe game. They have no clue what is going on. And that's just not right. It's impacting upon the experience 
of the game of football for me. Uh, let's talk about the, the Premier League games uh, across the weekend. Uh, Fulham nil, Manchester City three. City just blowing Fulham away in the second half. Although Fulham were good in the first 45. Just 14 points required from uh, the last eight matches for another title for Manchester City. The interesting one for me on the back of that uh, result, Spider, is that if Liverpool don't beat Wolves on Monday, and we're recording this podcast obviously before that game, then the title is officially gone for Jurgen Klopp. We know they're not going to win it anyway, but with nine or ten games still to go, that is an extraordinary collapse for a team that was top of the table at Christmas. Yeah, uh, it's unbelievable. But uh, Again, again, Simon, they've been so good in Europe. Like the Champions League, they've been seriously good. Uh, I know they're finding it hard to back it up week in, week out, uh, especially with the Champions League now back on. Plus, we all know, Maury knows better than anyone how hard the Premier League is and every match that you play in the Premier League. Uh, but if they can still go on and win the Champions League, is the season been a fail? If you ask all the big clubs in Europe, what do they want to win? Let me tell you, they want to, be, they want to win the Champions League. Well, ask, ask Simon. Ask Simon. Simon, how do you feel about the Champions League? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, sort of uh, mixed feelings about the Champions League, really. Look, I mean, obviously, you know, City are desperate to win it because it's 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 the one thing that we haven't won as a club, and it's the big monkey on the back of uh, Pep Guardiola and everybody else at Manchester City. But uh, if you ask an awful lot of City fans, and I think I've said this before, we have such an uneasy relationship with UEFA that. I don't know. There's there's almost a, a part of us that was like, well, you know, so long as we win the Premier League every year, we're not that bothered. I don't think. Um, that is no, total we'd like to rubbish. We'd like to lies. win it. We would like to win it. I quadruples on that. <laughs> Sorry, Tiger. Quadruples on for you this season. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. Uh, got a... what, Fulham, Fulham did give you a couple of uh, birthday presents in that match, though. Yeah, they yeah. certainly did. Gift wrapped. <laughs> Um, some big results, wasn't there? There were some big results. Brighton got a fantastic result. Mm. Um, Burnley, say, Spides, Burnley over Everton, who I told you I've I always told been... you, mate. They're yucky poo, mate, Burnley. They are such an ugly team to play against. They make it so difficult and they just grind you and grind you and defend for their lives. I think their manager, I don't know his name. I keep forgetting his name. Oh, I think gosh. he's done an unbelievable job with that club. Unbelievable. Yeah, certainly has. Um, other results, Arsenal won the North London derby, putting uh, an end to Spurs' uh, good recent revival in which Gareth Bale has been absolutely terrific. What a return uh, and a resurgence for him. Manchester United edging out uh, West Ham thanks to an own goal. Uh, the other interesting story for me is the, is the departure of Chris Wilder from Sheffield United. Now, yes, they're bottom of the league, um, but he has taken them from the third tier to the Premier League. Um, he is a Sheffield boy, he's a Sheffield United fan. It, it seemed to me as though he had a job for life, but uh, there's clearly been a bit of a fallout with uh, with the owners over funds, Maury. Yeah, that seems to be the case. And I'll tell you what, they, they, they took five today off Leicester. Um, so certainly, certainly, you know, how many times has Sheffield United been that much out of a contest? Um, but Chris Wilde had done an amazing job. And like I said, I, I just think that that type of club... Um, how they performed last season and those tight games, Simon, they were, they were managing to draw or win that game 1-0, whereas this season, they've, they've been in contests, a lot of contests throughout the season, and unfortunately, the result has just gone the other way for them. Um, they've not got a huge squad, 
Um, so they don't have that, that real depth, but they've got a very honest team that work hard for one another. And I just think that these are one of the, or Sheffield United are the type of club that have really suffered this year without their supporters. Yep, I would uh, tend to agree with that. A uh, couple more before we move on to our final segment. Um, Spider, your thoughts on this potential transfer merry-go-round that could uh, transpire in the summer. And it all surrounds, of course, Leo Messi. Uh, Neymar coming mm. out publicly saying he wants to play with Messi again. Does that mean he's going to PSG? If he does, does that mean Kylian Mbappe leaves? Um, Kevin De Bruyne, this affects Manchester City as well. Kevin De Bruyne said to be unhappy with the new contract offer that Manchester City have put in front of him. Perhaps they're saving some money. Uh, to make a bid for, for Leo Messi. So th- this uncertainty over Messi's future appears to have ramifications for quite a few top players, potentially. Yeah, yeah you know what? Out of all of them, the, the, the Bruyne one actually annoys me. It really does annoy me because, mate, he's on a massive wicket at Man City. Mate, how much more do you want? Like, seriously, like, I know we can say that for every player, but, mate, how much more do you want? You're playing for a massive club. They're paying you great money, mate. And you're not happy with the contract they put in front of you? Like, let me tell you, they, they've not put in a $10,000 a year contract. They've put in a significant amount of money. And sometimes I actually think that these players get carried away with themselves. Mm. Strong mm. words. Um, go, on, Maury. go on, Maury. I just say it's very, very strong. Look, when we're talking about the type of the calibre of player, um, that, that, that we've mentioned there, you know, Messi, Neymar, Mbappe, De Bruyne. There's only there's only a few clubs, don't they, really, that come into the mix, you know, your PSG, your, your Barcelona, um, your Man City. But Mbappe, I mean, can you throw a Chelsea into the mix, potentially, with, with Tuchel being there and, you know, Possibly. Mbappe, you know, is, is, is that a possibility? But you're right, Simon, I think, for me, what I think is clear is I don't think Messi's going to be at Barcelona next year. Still, even with Laporta having won the election? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm happy to be proven wrong, but... Um, His I swagger think... seems to be back, Maury. His swagger yeah. seems to be back, and Bass is actually playing better. Again, look, it, it really is a difficult one because you've just hit the nail on the head, Maury. Where, where can he go? There's yeah. two or three clubs that he can possibly go to. That's it. Two or three pretty big clubs, though, to be fair. Yeah, I know, but, um, like, yeah. Simon, he's not going for money. Like, seriously, yeah. come on. He's not going for money. Barcelona pay him a heck of a lot of money. He's been there forever. He's loved there. He's an idol there. It's not as if he's, what, mate, whether he earns another million a year or two million a year on top of what he's earning at Barcelona, does not make a difference to Messi? Like, come on, guys, please. It doesn't. But he's a winner. Is Lionel Messi still going to be able to win things at Barcelona in the next two to three years. And maybe there's a challenge for him to win a Champions League at a club that at the moment, and PSG and Man City are two of these, that haven't won a Champions League. Maybe that's something that interests him. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Um, Last one, Maury, this one uh, for you. A story this week that Avram Glazer is going to sell £70 million worth of his shares in Manchester United. Uh, but that none of the money is going to go back into the club. Uh, of course, the Glazer family bought into United in 2005. It's a, a purchase that's been leveraged on debt to a large degree. In 2020, <clears throat> the finance blogger Swiss Ramble reported that the Glazers have taken £89 million out of United in dividends 
and yeah. bonus payments. It's, it's no wonder that a large proportion of the United fan base are not happy with their owners. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's big. I mean, look, I don't know the, obviously the, the background in terms of how people run their, their, their businesses, um, but they're obviously very, very switched on in terms of how the, 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 the business, how the club, how the, the, the funds have been structured. Uh, they've taken money out of the football club. You get away with that, Simon, when you continually throw uh, money at your football team. Um, and that's something that I think Man United have to do uh, again. I think that they will do, but if they don't, then you come under um, a lot of pressure, don't you? I mean, Manchester United, potentially, uh, you know, commercially, glo globally, the biggest club in the world. So if they don't throw money at this team to, to, to make them successful again um, and start lifting trophies, then there'll be a lot of unhappy Manchester United supporters. Okay. Uh, they've also promoted Darren Fletcher to uh, technical director this week, which is an interesting move. Maybe take the heat off Ed Woodward, who's had uh, a fair bit of criticism, I think it's fair to say, as being uh, too involved in the signing of players and not necessarily the right ones. Uh, time to move into our final segment, and another great guest awaits us in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. Well, our guest today was born in Melbourne in 1993, played his junior football for Knox City, Richmond and Melbourne Victory before signing with Scottish giant Celtic in 2010. He made his Scottish Premier League debut two years later against Tabernian, but had to go out on loan to Kilmarnock and then Ross County to establish himself. After winning the Scottish League Cup with Ross in 2016, he headed south to sign for Burton Albion and after a year moved on to Hull City. After three years in East Yorkshire, he had to wait a little while before securing his next move, <clears throat> which finally came in January this year when he put pen to paper with Hibernian back in Scotland. He's played 34 times for Australia, scoring five goals, and he's instantly recognisable thanks to his mane of hair and the big tash that he's got at the moment. He is Jackson Irvine. Good to see you, Jackson. Thanks for joining us. Oh, quite the intro. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. <laughs> What's with the mo, Jackson? Oh, yeah. I think everybody went through a little phase in lockdown where you just lost the plot for about for a couple <laughs> of weeks. And uh, mine resulted in me piercing my own ears and growing a moustache. So um, I think I came out of it all right in the end. Uh, my girlfriend took a little bit of convincing to, to let me keep it, but oh, I think I've won her over. You're attached to it now, though. <laughs> I have, yeah. I am. It's not going anywhere. Brilliant. Um, Jackson, take us back to those early days uh, in Melbourne. Scottish roots in your family. Was football always yeah. in your blood? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, going back to your intro, I'll give another special shout-out to Ringwood City and Endeavour United, a couple of other junior clubs that were that played a big part in my, in my youth. And um, that was where I started at originally, was Ringwood with my Dutch grandfather who took me took me down to Ringwood City um, on the east side of Melbourne and yeah just it was always in my blood though like my dad obviously being from Aberdeen um, big football fan from the start and although I probably didn't really get into into playing um, you know away like playing properly until I was you know five or six I guess um, but yeah from then on it was nothing else. And, and you were big friends with Curtis Good as I understand it did you drive each other on as kids yeah yeah that, that was quite a funny one i got asked about that recently in an interview and um it's funny how 
our paths kind of were side by side for such a long time. We um we met playing for Knox City when we were about ten, but we also did like athletics and cross country and stuff in the same squads as well. And um yeah, we kind of just went up, grew up side by side, and then when I went over to Celtic and he went over to Newcastle, and he came up on loan to Dundee United, and um I think we've made our Socceroos debuts within you know, a few months of each other, wore the same number. I don't know. It's just, it was one of those uh, funny things. We just kind of went side by side the whole way. He had a horrible time with injuries for a few years, but he's very much back to his best at the moment at Melbourne City. They're playing some beautiful stuff. Before you went to Celtic, of course, you did have those, uh, that spell at Melbourne Victory. Did, did mm-hmm. they ever offer you a deal? No, nah, it never transpired. It was kind of a funny one. I um, So I was 16, 15, 16, playing for Frankston Pines in State League One. Um, a, a very competitive state league one actually at the time. Bailey Wright was at Lang Warren and uh, Matt Leckie was at Bulleen. We both obviously have gone on to have good soccerers and international careers as well. Um, but yeah, so I got basically pulled in with um, a couple of other guys that was playing. I was playing with Frank Sen, Rashid Mahazi was there as well. Um, they brought us in to kind of just train with the Victory Youth team. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I was there for quite a, quite a bit and it just never... I think I don't even know if there was some rule at the time where players under the age of 18 couldn't sign professional contracts and seemed to be a bit of confusion about how it was going to work. Um, I was allowed to play one game for the youth team on like an emergency deal. Um, so I played one game over in Perth uh, for the for the for the 23s or 21s. And then, yeah, it, just, it never it never worked out. And then a couple literally about a month later, I went on trial to Celtic and got offered my contract over, over in Europe. And yeah, and that was that. Once you got your, your contract with Celtic, um, you made your debut as much. I think you only played the once for the first team. Uh, that was, strangely enough, against Tiburnian at Celtic Park. Yeah. You replaced Vincent Wanyama. Do, do you remember that? I would, I would imagine you would. Yeah, yeah big, big Victor. What a player. He was an unbelievable for us. And Yeah, I was, I'd, I'd been on the fringes for a, bit, a little while at that, at that time. I'd um, had a couple of good pre-seasons and had kind of, I was captaining the youth team in the reserves and um, yeah, it felt like I was close, but you know, in hindsight, you look back and I look back at the strength that they had. They were doing really well in Europe at that point under Neil Lennon and they had, um, you know, Victor Wanyama, Scott Brown, Joe Ledley, um, Baram Kayal, Kison Young, South Korean player, like they had an abundance of international talented midfielders. So it was always going to be a difficult task to break through. Um, but I did manage to make a competitive appearance for Celtic, which I was obviously very proud of and uh, to have done it against Hibs is quite a funny one to then ended up playing here, you know, what, no, nine years, eight years later, nine years later, something like that. Yeah. Funny how it worked. Jackson, surely you've had plenty of people that told you that you signed for the wrong, wrong club in Glasgow, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, should have signed for St. Mirren. <laughs> good response, good response. Um, move, the move to Ross County was probably the, the changing point in your career. Uh, you won the League Cup final, as we mentioned, but beat Celtic in the semi, strangely enough, and then Hibs in the final. Those two clubs have uh, been sort of synonymous throughout your career. You had a certain Martin Boyle in their squad as well, who's now your teammate. Um, that, that was your, your breakthrough year, really, wasn't it, in, in 2015-16, and that, that Scottish League Cup final win, the pinnacle, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I found it after that year at Celtic um, where I kind of was on the fringes and kind of in and out of squads but not playing. Then I went to Kilmarnock 
where I, I found it really difficult. I was getting moved around a lot, playing center half, right back, left midfield. I was doing a bit of everything. And, and then the following season with Ross County, we were really battling. Like, I think we, up until February, I think we were rock bottom. And then we went on an amazing run through March and April where we won like nine out of 11 games. And we'd only won two all the season before it. And then we carried that on into the following season, which saw us win a trophy and finish in the top six, like which only happened. Clubs only managed twice in its history and its first major trophy. So it was a huge, huge thing to be a part of for the club. And obviously, as you say, probably the thing that kickstarted my career as well. Jackson, you, you would have worked um, with a former teammate of mine, Billy Dodson at Ross County. Was it Billy Dodson, Jim McIntyre? Were they the... Dodson, the yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jim Mack was the manager and Dodsey was his assistant. Uh, I, st I still speak to Dodsey every now and again, to be fair. He, top, he pops up on my phone um, whenever whenever something's going on. He's, uh, yeah, he was. they were great with me. They honestly, as I say, they kind of, as I say, I was getting moved around a lot at that time and they really nailed me down as that kind of box-to-box -box midfielder and made that my, my role. And um, yeah, Dodsey was, was great. And he, he still, still joined in at training at that point. He was still loved a little five-a-side on a, on, a, on a Tuesday. Mate, five-a-side would suit him because the 11-a-side, mate, he was a little bit too big and round for that. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, better in the 18-yard box, wasn't he? Oh, he's a good striker. Um, yeah. ja Jackson, that, that form with uh, Ross got you a move to England with Burton Albion. Uh, under Nigel Clough, son of uh, the famous Brian, of course, he had a good two years in Derbyshire and, and won the, the Player of the Year award in, in 2017 as well. So your career was really starting to build at that point. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So when I like, kind of finished up, like finished the season with Ross County, we finished really strong and did really well. And then, um, yeah, it was kind of about trying to make the decision about what you wanted to do next. And I kind of, I had a couple of options at the time and there was a, a team in Belgium that was very, very keen on me and was willing to, to kind of go for me at that point. And Burton, who had just been promoted for the first, again, first time in the club's history in the championship, bit of an unknown um, and was kind of really odds on favourites to kind of go straight back down. But it was just about whether I wanted to kind of build my career, try and stay in the UK and England or, or, or pursue a kind of more European style um, move. And, but, I'm, you know, speaking with Burton and speaking with Nigel Clough and the way he saw my role within that team there, they, I was the club's record transfer fee at 250000 That gives you an idea at, uh, of the size of Burton Alvin in the championship. You know, they bring guys coming in from... I think Wolves signed a guy for like 18 million or something that season. And that was the kind of level of, of competition we were up against. But everything just fell into place for me within that formation, that group, the team. You know, it's one of those things where everything just aligns perfectly. And we defied the odds and stayed up. And for myself personally, I had, you know, it was at that time that I, I broke into the Socceroos squad and been fortunate enough to stay in it ever since. So, yeah, the Burton year although it was only one season and then, you know, I, I played the first five games the following season before moving to Hull. But yeah, that year was, was where, yeah, I suppose it kind of kickstarted the next phase again, where you really push on. And, and you pushed on to Hull City, as you mentioned, under initially Leonid Slutsky, the, uh, the Russian coach. Um, not an auspicious debut though, was it? Back in Derbyshire. No, <laughs> Against Derby just, County. Just, just a word on the honest Lutsky as well. If you have ever got a chance to go on YouTube and check out some of the videos of this man, what an incredible character. Like, you will not see many like him in the game. 
Um, I would doubt I'll ever come across anyone like him again. He was absolutely, uh, he was mad, mad as a hatter. But give, give us an example, really, really Jackson. Nice bloke. Like I've never seen someone pace the touchline like this guy. But there was also just all sorts of stuff. Like I'm sure there was a video circulating of him at like a pink concert, like like jog like dancing in the crowd at a pink concert and stuff. Just just real mad stuff. And I saw around Christmas time, Ruben Kazan, who's managing now in Russia did like a Christmas special video and it's him singing like this mad song, like with all the players and stuff. Uh, it's just, it's, it, it is quite difficult to put your finger on. He's just an incredibly uh, big character. And he, yeah, he was awesome to be fair. I really enjoyed working with him. He was a bit, un, a bit unfortunate in his, in his spell with us because we had some really, we did, we were playing really well, but I think around that time, I think eight of the first like 12 or 13 games we lost in the last, 10 minutes like something something crazy like that like we just kept losing late goals so it was we were close to getting it right but yeah he was the one who signed me to hold so i've got a soft spot for him but also he was a brilliant character but not on that day in derbyshire where he lost five nil to derby on debut <laughs> I, I i came on when it was already five nil so i don't know if that, if that helped. change it you're ex you're excused jackson yeah i signed on the so i signed just before the international, that was before the first international break. So I was actually in Japan with the Socceroos when my transfer went through. So then I got back, you know, we had, I think we played Japan and then we played Thailand in Melbourne. So I flew back on the Wednesday, arrived in, um, back in England on the Thursday night or, or the Wednesday or Thursday, trained on the, sorry, oh, that's right. I arrived back on the Wednesday, tr turned up for training on the Thursday and then we played Derby on the Friday night. So I'd been in one day went straight on the bench, got hammered 5-0 and came on and made my debut for the last 15. So it was a, what a way to start. Well, yeah, one day of training and then getting absolutely tanked in your first game. So that was not, <laughs> not, the, not the greatest memory for your first game. Um, you went on to stay for three years at, at Hull City. Fair to say you were in two of those three seasons constantly battling against uh, relegation before the club finally succumbed in uh, 2019-20. Did, did you feel at that point, well, obviously you did, that, that it was time for the next chapter, time to move on away from East Yorkshire? Yeah, I reflect, you know, obviously in the last few months I've had a lot of time to reflect on my on my time at, the, at Hull City and, you know, three seasons. And by, by the end of my time at the club, I was the longest serving player with the most appearances and, um, you know, found myself as, you know, the vice captain, captain, part of the leadership group and a I'd, I'd really cemented myself as, as part of the team and the club, but yeah, we just inconsistencies and, you know, turnovers of players and managers just kind of plagued us over the time I was there. And it never really felt, we never really felt settled, I think. And as you say, yeah, we battled again, the first season. Yeah, we battled, but almost battled comfortably. Like I think we were the fourth top scorers in the division and finished 18th. Like we scored like some, some ridiculous amount of goals. Like we'd go and beat, get beat 5-0, but then we'd go and beat someone 6-1 the next week. Like it was a strange old season. And then the following year, we had a really good push for the playoffs up until about March where we kind of fell away. And then even last, my last season, on New Year's Day, we beat Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough to go outside the playoffs on goal difference. And then sold Jared Bowen to West Ham and Camille Grzycki to West Brom. And next thing you know, we didn't win we won one game between then and there the season. So yeah. it's, 
although you know it can on reflection it looks like that but there was times where it felt like we were a proper team and we were really close to, to competing at the top end of the league but it just felt like every time we got close something would happen and the rug would get pulled um that just was the overwhelming feeling around my time there it's just like there was this cloud above the club and fans relationship with the owners obviously played a big part in that but it just never it never felt it felt close but just like just always just something was going to go wrong and unfortunately as you say my time with the club kind of fell away in the worst possible circumstances during covid and um the club choosing not to add an option year they chose not to take or renew my contract so you know although you say oh, it was my decision to walk away really it was kind of taken out of my hands and um you know we just parted ways under probably you know the worst possible circumstances which ended with the club getting relegated and I had to kind of watch from afar those last nine games where when the boys went down yeah it was it wasn't great at all it's yeah it's still something you look back on and obviously probably will look back on for a long time with a lot of you know mixed feelings about just just on that Jackson you so from that you, you found yourself uh, on the sidelines really in terms of you know a lot of time without a club and um, how frustrating was was that? And second part of my question is now back at uh, back playing football now with Hibs back in Scotland, something that you're familiar with, playing the game with a smile on your face. You must be very happy with the situation now. Yeah. So my my time out of the game was quite easily the most challenging period of my you know, of my of my professional life, obviously, and probably my life in general. Um, going from you know being where I was, being, a, you know, a leadership player in a championship club and a starting international player for your country to not having a club for six months. And um, you know, there's a number of factors which played a role in, in, in why that materialised the way it did. But um, ultimately, I had to manage my body and my mindset and, and try and stay strong physically and mentally throughout it and make sure that when the time did come where I found, came back into the game that I was ready to go. And as you say to be back playing now with a smile on my face at a club um, that's, you know, in a really good position to achieve something that they haven't achieved for a very long time. And, um, yeah, I'm just loving every second. I feel like that fire has been relit in me. I feel like it had started to burn out a little bit towards the end of my time with Hull City. And I feel like now it's really been reignited in that passion, desire to, to continue to push on and improve and be the best player I can be is really there. And, you know, Hibs it took a bit of a gamble in a lot of ways to sign a player because I know it was six months without a club, but I hadn't played for 10 because obviously since lockdown in March, um, yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't played a competitive game. So they probably were a, a little bit unsure of where I was going to be at physically. I think they knew the player that was there underneath, but um, you know, they are very thankful that they, they gave me the opportunity to come straight in and I've started every game since I've been here and I feel like I'm you know back to the player I know I can be. Uh, Jackson, we do, we've got a couple of uh, Twitter questions on a similar theme. Uh, ben Archer, and you sort of answered this, why did you have such a big break after leaving Hull um, when there were other clubs willing to bring you into their starting level straight away? I don't know if that's true. Um, Barry Johnston also says, was coming back to Australia an option before signing for Hibs? Listen, I considered any and all options when it came that when I was during that period. And, um, you know, it was a lot of different, things just fell down to timing um, and bad timing. I actually came back to Australia. So after I left Hull in June, in the I, I flew, so Australia was obviously still, and Melbourne in particular was still open at that time. So I had arranged, I was going to go back and train 
in Melbourne City actually just they were just going to basically just do me a favor and let me come in and, and train there and keep fit until I made a decision on my future and I was eight days into my hotel quarantine in Melbourne when the outbreak the COVID outbreak happened so and during that few days all the teams relocated up to New South Wales so not only did I was I not able to come back and and train and you know carry on doing it that way I never even you know I, I had to I flew all the way back to Australia, did two weeks in quarantine, two weeks in my mom and dad's house, and then flew back to Europe. So it was the biggest, you know, not a waste of time because they were happy to have me to themselves, but, you know, it didn't quite pan out the way I wanted. But, yeah, I was willing to explore all options at, at that time. It was just about timing and finding something that aligned with exactly what I, what I needed and, and what I felt that was going to be the best thing for my future. Well, that, that turned out to be Hibernian and things are going uh, pretty well. You were back at your old club, Ross County, at the weekend, uh, which you, again, that you won. Um, it's sort of between you and Aberdeen for third in the Scottish Premier League, but uh, you're going pretty well up there. And specifically, you formed a very good partnership with uh, fellow soccero Martin Boyle. Not that he sounds much like an Aussie. <laughs> yeah, the, the Aberdeenian Australian. Um, no, Boyle's been brilliant for us. And me and him have really struck up a good understanding of in a short space of time. And, you know, even we only played a couple of Socceroos games together before I came to the, up to Hibs, but we've managed to get on the same wavelength very quickly. And it's, it's great when you have those connections. I know these guys will know it as well. It's when you feel that connection with another player on the pitch and you have an exact understanding of knowing the runs that they'll make and the timing of things. I had a similar thing coming with Brzezicki, Brzezicki at, um, at Hull and, just when you have that, yeah, I don't know, that kind of connection on the football pitch, it does really help things. And, you know, we're in a great position to be third, I think six points clear with 11 better goal difference. Um, you know, so the club hasn't finished third since 2005. So we're in, it's, it's a huge, it'd be a huge achievement for us to do that. And, you know, a third place finish puts you two games away from Europa League qualification as well. So the club's very, obviously, um, excited about the prospect of a European campaign and, um, obviously still six games to go, so nothing's set in stone yet, but we've put ourselves in the driving seat and it's in our hands with, with the last few games to go. So that's, a, that's always the way you want it. Yeah, certainly going very well at the moment. Um, let's finish off, Jackson, by talking about your uh, national team career. Uh, of course, you, you did play for the Scottish junior teams due to your father, as you mentioned, being born in Aberdeen, but, uh, but Australia was always your first choice, yes? Yeah, um, absolutely. It was it was a tough one. When I first came over to Celtic, again, I'm not sure if a lot of people will be aware, but there was a, around that time, there was a kind of the, the FFA at the time were actually kind of trying to block international transfers of under 18 kind of players and, you know, players like myself, Jamie McLaren at Blackburn, um, Reese Cairo at Aston Villa, we all kind of got left in a little bit of limbo going over quite young and not being able to play competitive game so basically I had a little bit of a fallout with them in the sense that they kind of not let me and you know I'd never been through the Australian system like I was never selected in any institutions state like BIS, AIS or any real even like state teams I think I did big schoolboys at about 11s that was about it so I feel like the kind of system had I'd kind of gone through it without the system and just done it off my own back and at that time, I was living in Scotland, you know, living in Glasgow, playing for Celtic. I'd always felt a very strong connection to my Scottish family through my dad. And when they, they approached me first, really, that was the way it worked. I'd never been approached by Australia before. And um, I jumped at the chance to, to play international football. And um, I loved, I played in the under-19 
Euros uh, with with Scotland and scored on my debut against Slovenia and played against some top players and um, we played against Belgium in the final game of that group, which you know had some you know some top players in that side like they had likes of Carrasco and Thorgan Hazard at Borussia Dortmund and but then after that. Um, you know, I, I kind of the conversation began with with the Australian national team, and I very quickly made the decision that that's where I wanted to play. And I went over to one camp for a couple of friendlies in Portugal with the under twenties, and even just being, you know, Jamie McLaren was there, and uh, and Curtis Good, and boys that I played with growing up. And you just, you know, you're at home. That's where you belong. That's you know, that was where you belong, and that's where I'm from. And it was never really a decision after that. And you made your debut against Canada 2013, but uh, I think probably fair to say in common with your, your club career, you, you had to fight pretty hard to establish yourself in the team. Maybe maybe mm. still are doing to a certain extent. Yeah, listen, it's the, when I first came into... So 2013 was a kind of a one-off. Um, I, got, I think I got picked in that squad off the back. I had a really strong under-20 World Cup in the summer. Um, I had a really good pre-season with Celtic. And then went on loan to Kilmarnock and I was playing. And um, I think there was also an element of uh, unsure whether I would have continued to go down the Scottish route. So, um, you know, I I managed to to get on in that game and win my first cap. But I think I didn't play again for another couple of years after that. Um, Two years until I was in the next squad. And coming into that squad, which had Miller Yedinak, Mark Milligan, Matt Mackay, Aaron Moy, Tom Rogic, Mastelombo, like guys that were all strong midfielders that had played through the Asian Cup campaign, played through, um, you know, the previous World Cup, 2014 World Cup to the 15 Asian Cup. And then I came in kind of on the back of that. So I knew it was never going to be a, um, you know, there's you, you don't get it win easy caps at any level. But, um, yeah, you're right. I had to really kind of work hard. And I, I, think, I, I, don't, I think I played about nine or ten games off the bench before I got my first start. Um, again, probably I don't think I started my first game until 2017. Um, so yeah, you got to be patient, and it's it's hard work. And you know, a lot of young guys when they first come in, um, you know, it's it's difficult because you want to be involved as much as you can, but you know, you just got to try and learn as much as you can during those brief periods you're there, and take all the experience on board, and know that um, when you get your chance, you got to relish it, and also cement it and make it your own, and um, probably, funnily enough for me, my strongest period with the national team probably came in this, the six months before COVID where, um, you know, I re- again, probably felt like I was playing my strongest football for, for the national team. And, you know, especially off the back of the Jordan game, and which was our last game, which was probably my best, if not my best game in a Socceroos shirt. And, I mean, it's frustrating to have gone now nearly a couple of years without playing again. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the day when we can all meet up and, and get back to it. And I'm hoping that, that show will still be mine when we meet up again. Um, that leads on to our sort of question of the week, which comes from Southeast Queensland Sky Blues, a hundred dollar Outback Steakhouse voucher uh, coming to you for this question. It's a two-parter actually. Um, what were your biggest takeaways from training for a while with Harry Kuehl? And why do you think it is that the national team has had such a surplus of talented midfielders over the last 10 years in comparison to other positions? Good question. Yeah, good question. Um, I've really enjoyed my time with Harry and very, very thankful for, for him and his staff at, and players at Oldham. Um, for those who aren't aware, I, went, I was in there for probably, it was only a couple of weeks, but it really, 
it was two weeks before I signed for Hibs and it really gave me a, a baseline of fitness to go in and start playing again. And um, for any players out there who, who know what it's like to come off, off a layoff or off an injury, you know that those, um, you can run in a park as much as you want, but uh, playing games and, and training is a totally different, different style of sorry it hits your body in a totally different way so yeah that really got me back up to speed but I enjoyed Harry and I, I was lucky enough to be a part of a lot of his sessions when they did tactical and, and coaching work and it felt like they were really building something I was very obviously disappointed to see that uh, that the club chose to, to move on um, but that's I'm not for those that know Oldham as a club as well it's not entirely unsurprising it's something that they've done a lot in recent years but um, they felt like they they were kind of getting close to, to building something really good there, and they've got a talented group of players. And Harry had them playing some some really good stuff. They they were a, a, a shoe in for both teams to score if you're if you're a follow football in that sense. But they they were played some lovely attacking stuff, and yeah, I really enjoyed working with him. I did even briefly. And and just on the uh, the surplus of talented midfielders, and any theories as to why we produce more of those than other areas? It's a strange one as well, because I don't even feel like we're very similar. If you, even if I just look at that group that I just named there, when you look at Tom and when you compare a Tom Rogic to a Millie Yedinak, to an Aaron Moy, to a, you know, to a Mark Milligan, even to myself, I feel like we all have totally different qualities um, physically and kind of technically. And I don't know, it, it, it is a tough one to, tough one to put your finger on. I think, um, there's always an element of timing. I think you'll see that with a lot of national teams. And, um, you know, if you look at even like England at the moment, with like right backs when they've got Alexander Arnold, Reese James, Trippier, um, you know, Wambasaka, they've got, you know, you, you seem to just sometimes you just seem to fall on a group of players at one time. Um, but it feels like in the last, yeah, I don't know, in particular in my, since I can only really speak from my experience for the last six or seven years, the midfield has been uh, packed. You know, there's been guys like um, Musti Amini and obviously now Jimmy Jago's coming in and yeah. playing really well. Aiden Rustic, um, you know, again, all with different qualities, but all midfield players. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things. It, it's a nightmare for managers, not even just for team selection, but for squad selection when you've got that many players. So, um, yeah, for myself, I guess that's uh, something to always keep an eye on. Even now you see young Caleb Watts at Southampton, you know, 17 years old, playing games in the Premier League. There's another one that's going to, you know, have a big push probably in the next couple of years to try and get his name in the squad. So it's always competition. It means you've got to be at the top of your game and you're at the domestic level to make sure you're in those squads. Just one more, Jackson, before Spider asks his weekly question, which uh, everybody waits with bated breath for. Um, the World Cup in Russia, was that, that, that the highlight of your career? You came on a sub in all three matches and conversely, the Asian Cup a year later in the UAE, one of the biggest disappointments? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, the World Cup was a, just an unbelievable experience. And, um, you know, I'm sure people, a lot of people will be aware through social media of kind of my history with the, as a Socceroos fan. And having been at the Uruguay game and having been in Germany, being in the stands at Kaiserslautern and, you know, having lived that those moments as a fan and then being out on the pitch, just totally surreal. Um, and I'm even more desperate to get back and be able to do it again and, and play an even bigger role within that and, and you know, be more competitive in that group as well and, and, and try and, you know, go further than any Australian team's gone before. But, um, yeah, 
I was I was very very lucky. I was in the stands. I was at the Brazil game as well, Maury. Don't worry. I was there. I was there for them both. Uh, yeah, I, I was. Yeah. I was just. Yeah, I was just so 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 very lucky to have been there as a fan and and as a player at a World Cup to be able to see it from both sides of the fence is not something many people get to do. And yeah, brilliant. So then to unfortunately with the Asian Cup, um, yeah, just it's it's a, a strange one to reflect on as well because I, I felt we. We added everything, or there were a lot of pieces in place, and then we did get hit with an injury and suspension. Kind of, you, you can't, you know, there's no excuses in the game, but you know, you look back, and we did just have a terrible bit of luck in terms of the way we lost players just before that tournament and during. And then, um, you know, unfortunately, it came down to, a, to an individual error, which was the one that, that kind of, even within the, you know, the, the round before against Uzbekistan, we'd done enough to, to stay in games. We didn't didn't really look under any threat it was just we probably huffed and puffed a bit in front of goal um but yeah to go out and the manner that we did it, it was unbelievably disappointing but you know we'll be stronger and, and ready to go again you know for the next one that's for sure go on spider it's your big moment yes, definitely definitely will jackson but this is the this is the question the listeners always wait for on the show jackson <laughs> so we the listeners want to know the best stadium you've ever played at and the biggest dungeon the best stadium in the biggest dungeon. I can't. I can't oh, Maury's gonna hate me. I can't not say Celtic Park. It's like it's. Uh, <laughs> Charlie Miller said it was the biggest dungeon he's ever played at. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Definitely. Um, I would. I would have to say Celtic Park. Um, there's been so I've been very lucky. Played in some amazing stadiums. The World Cup stadiums were. So um, in um, St. Petersburg, even for the uh, Confederations Cup the year before, was absolutely spectacular. Um, you know, I played, been played, played in some awesome places, some really old school stadiums, even thinking about Honduras as a totally different style, but just really memorable kind of different experiences playing in different kinds of stadiums. Um, biggest dungeon, though, for what would I say? It's got to be in Scotland somewhere for sure. I was about to say I've played in like some some uh, you know away game away games at, at like at lower lower league teams in Scotland. Everyone who's ever played in Scotland who's ever played at Cowden Beef um, oh, would have to would have to say that is right up there with one, with one of the worst. It's a bit of an easy it's a bit of an easy answer over here, but I'll, I'll have to say Cowden Beef is probably the worst I've played at. Brilliant. Reminders of the name of that stadium. Oh, it did slip my memory. Do you know? I actually don't. I can't. I can't remember it off the top of my head. It's that bad you can't remember it. Forget it as quickly as possible. <laughs> we'll find hey, out. Did it, did it at least have good fish and chips for on the way home? We <laughs> uh, need need ten pints after playing there to get two. Right <laughs> oh, brilliant! Central Park is the home of Cowden Beef. Central Park. There we go. Um, Jackson, it's been good. Just before we go, um, just seeing the background there, your guitar is up there in lights. You're still playing, yeah. still pl strumming on the old guitar. You're a bit of a rock fan like me, aren't you? Into your metal. Oh, I, I, I try to be. I try to be. Um, yeah, I, I go through, I have my phases um, with, with my genre loving. But uh, yeah, no, it's been a good chance for me to explore some other interests during the, my time off and played, played a fair bit of guitar during that time. And yeah, it goes with me wherever I go. So um yeah always always pick it up every now and again who's who's your guitar hero or, or or your band hero oh my guitar hero i was um 
had a, I had a few when I when I was kind of growing up. My my guitar teacher when I was at school was a big fan of remember G three wow. with like Joe Satriani and yeah. um like those guys were like proper shredders. They were amazing guitarists. But um, who would I, who would I say? Probably like it's hard not to say Jimi Hendrix to be when I was mm. really growing up. He was just I still play like whenever I play. I, I, I don't know why whenever I pick up my guitar I always play the intro to Little Wing it's like one of the first things I always play when I pick up my guitar and my girlfriend absolutely hates it all the time and, <laughs> and I, she's like what is that racket that you're playing because it's just like all over the place she's like that's not even a song so um, that's uh, no, Jimmy, Jimi Hendrix was a big part of my early guitar years good choice uh, yeah, that brings back a bit of fun for me as well man. Stevie Thompson uh, Jackson Stevie Thompson, yeah. ex mate, loves a guitar. We used to be out, we used to be having a few beers on nights out and that sort of stuff, mate. We used to send him home. We go, Tomo, go back and get your guitar. Spides, <laughs> he used to come back with his guitar, mate, in a pub, having a sing song and all that, mate. It was brilliant. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to be able to do that again. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're not having that at the moment over in Europe, are you? We're okay in oh, Australia, no, but far, anyway. Far, far from it. <laughs> that's that's yeah. another story jackson we should thank let you, you go hey thank you so much for joining us and sharing some of those memories absolutely fantastic mate uh, we wish you all the very best with uh, hibs and that quest for the europa league spot and uh, hope to see you back in the green and gold very soon as well cheers mate yeah yeah me too thanks for having me guys appreciate it well done jackson brilliant mate that is uh, jackson irvine and that is us for this week join us next week for more shim spider and so much more bye for now deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.